Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Paper podcast. Today, myself and the economists get together to discuss the new European Cup format, as well as having another stab at putting together an England 15 for the 2023 World Cup, having done exactly that six months ago. This time six months ago, roughly, we picked an England 15 for the 2023 World Cup. And now that the season's semi come to a close, there's plenty to talk about elsewhere as well, which we will do. But it might be a good idea to pick one and see how we compare to six months ago. No special guest this time. It was Lewis Moody. This time joining myself, Nick and Brendan. We've got Chris Hewitt instead. Chris, you weren't there for the January rendition, I, if I remember rightly. Uh, no, I wasn't. But I could catch the ball more, more readily than Lewis Moody. Okay, would you say that to his face on air? Um, um, well, to his face on air, yes. Okay. <laughs> Just as long as he couldn't reach through the screen. <laughs> no, he was he was the best player in the world without a ball, Lewis. I'm, I'm serious about that. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was absolutely tremendous. And but, I don't think he'd mind being told that to his face either. To be honest, the old the old the old hands at times let him down. But crikey, if any if anyone ever wore his heart on his sleeve, it was him. Crikey. Well, I'm sure your selection contributions will be almost as valuable, and no doubt ruffle a few more feathers, given the calls that you've made on this podcast before. Um, before we get into the England 15, Chris, you actually just called Nick weird off air um, when you were inviting him to explain the whole European Cup format. Why don't we? Use that as our launch pad before we get into the England's, the England setup. Yeah, well, my 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 take on it is that Nick has the the, the kind of um, um, strange mind and parallel thinking abilities and and um, parallel universe air about him to to at least at least lay some planks of understanding about the new European Cup format. I mean, I can't believe we have another European Cup format. It's unusual for it to chop and change. <sighs> Um, but I, I read it. I read it once because I had a, a strange week last week of my own. I read it once, and my heart just sank at the at, the, at just the fundamental lunacy of the whole thing. I mean, it is so complicated. I think what we've what we've um, we've gone to is a change from an elite competition in which you probably had the, you know, whether it was, it started off actually, the European Cup, I think, started off with the top four in each league. It then went to five and it then went to six. And six was just about sustainable, I think. But this thing of going to the lower reaches of each of the leagues, so you've got basically the job lot European Cup, is a disaster. Um, if you looked at the um, the knockout stage, so we've got this newfangled round of sixteen, which I, I don't I don't care for particularly. Um, but if you looked at it this time round, the knockout stage of the this last competition, there were fifteen matches, of which fourteen were won by the home side. So that tells you. Um, something about the caliber of the sides who are going away who are obviously the sides who haven't done very well in the bloody fragmented pool round anyway so what we've gone from is a structure in which you had real symmetry you know you knew you had three home home matches and three away uh with the you know the um 
pools of four. And you knew that in rounds five and six, but obviously, particularly in round six, you probably got your, your pool winner. Not always, but you, you probably begin to see the light on the pool winner. And then you got the permutation. So you got your six pool winners and then you got the permutations on the um, on the runners up, which was great drama. You know, you needed mathematical geniuses on the touchline to work out the permutations as they were going on and so on and so forth. And you got eight teams in the um, quarterfinals who fully merited their place in it and you know, you would if you look at the, um, you know, you still get home advantage wins in the knockout stage. There'd be a predominance of them, but you also got teams turned over in that. You know, both in the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Didn't happen this last time. Not sure about the time before that, but but the you know the mediocrity now of the European Cup um, has been designed really by club owners i think more than anything and you can look at one of its main architects um was bath's bruce craig back when they um you know when epcr was created out of erc um great claims were made in terms of the marketing of the competition and so on and so forth and what it was going to be worth bruce craig i think talked about a um 100 million quid uh turnover it was at the time, I think, about 47. It went up initially to just over 50, and that's where it remains. Uh, they've also lost the best sponsor that probably, you know, rugby's had in Heineken. They've decided that they've, um, you know, that they're, they're, they're withdrawing from it. Uh, not completely, I don't think. I think that they may still be one of the, you know, the site... <coughs> the lesser sponsors or the or the group sponsors but they're not um they're not going to be the overall sponsors anymore i think that the whole story and and if you look at you you talk about you know you had a look at this um format this time round it is very difficult to see what they're trying to do because they've picked pools but nobody in the pool is going to play each other so they all play somebody in another pool. And yeah. it just doesn't, you know, I mean, how do you get, you know, you, you got that thing where fans would, they'd go to, to, to a team that they were playing in their pool and then they'd receive that team. And so, you know, you got that camaraderie and that, that sort of um, social thing in rugby. Now it's all, you know, you go, you go and play a one-off somewhere. You might be home or you might be away. I mean, it's just a dog's dinner. It is a complete and utter mess. And to They've make... abolished everything good, Nick. I mean, those yeah. home and away, back to back, rounds three and four were terrific. Yeah. Then you had the building drama of round five, who's going to win the pool, but who can still get in as a best runner-up. Round six was an absolute mayhem. It was wonderful. You had no idea what was coming sometimes, who was going to qualify. So that's yeah. four absolutely gala occasions of the six pool matches. And then you're into, as you were saying, ultra-competitive quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. So I have no idea why they've abolished that. And it just doesn't tick any boxes now. I mean, European champions. Well, there's no champions. Bristol came yeah. ninth last year. They're not a champion team. 
They're no, not Nora the Bath, teams. Nora Bath, Nora, yeah. any of those that finish. It's yeah. all about money. It's all about. And it's not earning money. It's not. It's not no, building. It's not. At all it's totally counterproductive. But it's all about having mediocre teams wanting to be at the top table. And and how you know, can you have a European Cup where you have the ninth best English team and Benetton aren't allowed anywhere near it? You have to have the best Italian team, and actually the best Italian team are pretty good at the moment. You ought to have a Georgian select team. At least, instead, we've got South African teams, four South Africans but no Italians, no Georgians. And it's the European Champions Cup. They still insist calling it. I mean, it's a disgrace. Well, this is a fascinating conversation because I can't disagree with anything. I, I mean, it just, I, to, to, to me, it, it beggars belief. I, I mean, I mean, Brem mentioned the old, um, you know, the, the old six pool days, and then and then you have the the mathematical, you know, the the, the Stephen Hawking questionnaire, um, which was, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, Stephen Hawking couldn't answer it. Um, who had to do what? I mean, famously, Morgan Parra, I think it was completely miscalculated or or didn't yeah. realize. And he managed to he managed to drop a goal and kick his own team out of the quarterfinals or some such thing. It was, um, I, I mean. It, it, it was an unwieldy format then with those two runners up, but it worked in spite of itself. Um, and and actually, it, 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 those, those were the sort of golden days of the tournament in many respects. It, I mean, you had all, all six main European nations were guaranteed some kind of representation, I think, which would to go to Brendan's point, which was important, absolutely important. And it was a myth. It was always a myth. That whoever was in the team with Natalia uh, in, in a group with the Italian team automatically got into the quarterfinals. That never happened. That actually never happened. Always won, but never both. And then, you know, and the Italian club rugby, particularly with 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 Treviso, as I still insist on calling them, um, has taken big steps up. Uh, uh, recently, I, I don't. I can, I can understand. I, I don't really like seedings and what have you. I can understand why people do it. I I, I I quite like the idea of blind draws and all that sort of business. I can understand why the Premiership winners, the top fourteen winners, the champions, and the if it's if it's someone different, and the URC winners should be kept apart in the initial draw. The rest of it, I don't see the point of having uh, any kind of separation uh, mechanism whatsoever. And if you end up, if you just happen to end up with a group of Leinster, Munster, Ulster, and um, I don't know Saracens, then super duper. I mean, did we used to have groups like that? That's That's great. Because it just makes the pool stage fantastic. All yeah. you've done is you're going out of your way to dilute the pool stage as much as you conceivably can, stick in an extra round of knockout matches. I don't mind it, but I just think it makes the organisation of the tournament quite difficult, you know, mathematically. Uh, but I, I, I do not understand this, this constant, well, I do understand it from the club owner's point of view, this constant urge to protect the powerful from the powerful. And it drives me up the wall. Mm. It's, it's, anti, it's anti-sport. And, and, and the European Champions Cup, horrendously for rugby, is now the opposite of an elite competition. Because everyone's in it. Yeah. yeah. Chris, also, <laughs> Chris, also going back to something you were saying off there when we were talking about, I don't know, we're talking about how good the Ashes is at the moment and Test cricket being played and the format of 
the most successful sports in the world, it's easy to follow. It's got continuity, the same with the Champions League and football and stuff. And it's just like, if you keep changing, well, how something is set up, it becomes impossible to follow. The Champions Cup has maybe gained a little bit of momentum back, having had the same format for a few years now, and they've kind of gone and retconned that again. You know, I, I could understand Kobe. The, the quality of your competitions in professional sport, in any sport, but in professional sport, it is everything. It is everything. It is the it is it is the foundation of your of your sport. If you get the competitions wrong and you mess around with them constantly, you are asking for trouble. And that's what's you know what's happening in in rugby. It's happening in the Premiership with the ring fencing. It's happening in the Euro European Cup. It's you know everywhere you see this in rugby. We don't cherish what we've got, and you know as a consequence, our game is being diminished. I, I agree with that. I, I mean, I, I rugby just in general um, has. Um, more, a much bigger issue in this respect than, than football. I mean, let's be fair. Rugby union, as I fell in love with it in the, I don't know, whenever it was, the 70s or what have you, um, Nick, I guess, probably around the same kind of time. Um, it's, it's a different game now. And in many respects, it's a better game and it's more dynamic and all those all those kinds of things. But but the, the constant chopping and changing has basically made it a struggle to recognise it as the game that you originally fell in love with. And that is not the case with football or cricket, the two other great team sports. They are instantly recognisable, instantly recognisable. I'm, I'm not sure if you brought Dickie Jeeps back, he would recognise much of Rugby Union today. If you brought Don Bradman back, he would recognise what's going on at Edge Basketball. And, and football has always been a simple game, which is its glory and, and largely unchanging. That's not to say you don't tweak some stuff around the edges, but we're making fundamental changes, both organisationally and laws-wise, to the game on an annual basis. Well, we, we, both, we both sat in that meeting at um, the Lensbury Club where, you know, it was, it was sprung on everybody that, that, that the ruck had actually, you know, was now no longer, as far as what the IRB, now World Rugby, was concerned, was no longer part of the game. We argued vociferously uh, against it in that meeting to the extent that they, I, I think that they were, were, were really quite uh, taken aback by the vehemence of the arguments that they, that, that they were confronted with. But they pushed on anyway. And we have the results of that game now. It's a hybrid of rugby union and rugby league. It is a much more formatted game than it was um, uh, you know, if you go back and you look, and that it says, you know, you've got to be very careful of the all our yesterdays thing because I agree with you. You know, the athleticism and so on and so forth in the game is at a higher level than it's ever than it's ever been. I'm not sure that the skills are necessarily, which is weird when you consider, you know, that this is a pro sport. Um, but if you go back and you look at, admittedly, this was the high point of um, of British and Irish rugby. But if you look at the Lions in '74. And you look at forwards like, you know, Willie John McBride, who he was on this podcast not so long ago. I mean, people like McBride would typecast as being, you know, head down, um, uh, you know, just fundamentally workhorses, dray horses. Yeah. But yeah. all of these guys, you know, when you look back and you see Brown, 
Gordon Brown and you see McBride and you see the outbreak of running handling that went on with that lion side, everybody was involved. Everybody was switched on. Everybody was there. And I feel that one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest drawbacks in the modern game is just how formatted and ordained. You know, if you watch how often in in uh, handling moves, in phase play, they keep on going in the same direction, in the same direction, in the same direction, because the scrum after has been pre-programmed to do it. And if you look oh, on the blind side, <laughs> there's one bloke in defence and three or four in attack, and they, they, they miss it every time because it's preordained. And I, I just find, I find the influence of coaches, Eddie Jones would be a very good example, the coaches king, I, I don't particularly like. I, I think it's a player's game. I always have. And I don't like the idea of players being coached from the stands or being coached by proxy, by people coming onto the pitch with water bottles who are coaches pretending to be water carriers. I don't like it at all. Um, this is the interesting game. thing about the cricket team, isn't it? About this whole basketball yeah. thing, which, uh, which um, we, we were saying. I mean, I, I, don't buy, I don't buy it completely. I mean, there have been other... There have been other cricket sides at the top end of the game who've sort of revolutionised the game. But it, it is absolutely clear that the message to the England cricketers at the moment, including someone like Joe Root, who can play a I mean, left-handed ramp shot against Pat Cummins' first ball of the innings, or first ball of his innings, first ball of the day, I think it was. And if he got out, there would have been up. And the Jeff boycotts of the world of this world would have said, "What are you doing? Play properly." Blah 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 blah. But it's obviously come from the coach or from the hierarchy of the side to say, "We want you to experiment. We want you to be imaginative. We want you to be exciting." In inverted commas, and if it goes wrong, then we're not going to lob you out next week, or we're not going to haul you over the coals. And that's 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 pretty much what we're talking about. I mean, you know, there are coaches who say, do what you want until it goes wrong. And if it goes wrong, you'll do as I say from here on in. Well, that's not quite the spirit that we're talking about. So, hey. On, on the subject of skills, Nick, um, can I just put a huge shout out for Chiefs number 10, Damien McKenzie? I've never understood why he hasn't been a, like an 80 cap All Black. He's an amazing player against the Brumbies for the Chiefs on Saturday. Took one of his trademark slashing breaks. Travelling 100 miles an hour, checked, turned the shoulders, flung out a 30-yard pass that went a yard behind. And the key thing was the winger, when he kind of throws it on the picture, the winger, when he threw the pass, was at least nine, if not ten yards behind the ball and just sprinted onto it. It was pure 1960s, 70s skill. Yeah, it was a good week. I, I agree, and 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 enter enter Mac last weekend. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. I mean, was, I mean, that's that's. I mean, I know he's he's an in and out kind of player, but that'll make a few people think ahead of the World Cup, won't it? Yeah, mm. glorious. Because you're just sending out those statements. I mean, that was a that was a fantastic individual match winning, trophy winning interjection. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's and it's pretty clear that you know, enter map for one is not under some kind of iron rule of you do this here and you do this there. But there's that that's. That's that puts him in the minority, yeah. not the majority. You know, in a t- in a tight final with five minutes left, there's a fair few coaches who say 
you've got the ball in this space in your own half. You do this, 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 or this. Very few of them will say, back yourself, young man. There was a little stat on uh, Twitter. This season for France and Toulouse, he scored eight tries. That's more tries than the rest of the Six Nations fly-offs put together in all rugby. He scores tries. He's a, you know, he's a strike runner as well as a fly-half. And there's not many of those around these days. No. I, mean, I don't think Owen Farrell scored an international try for four or five years. Well, Mackenzie would be one and Bowden Barrett would be, would be another. But, but you ain't talking many. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Johnny, Johnny Sexton hasn't run that far in months. Marcus Smith would be another. I think he's yep, he was up there. Yeah, he was up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but you can't trust him, can you? <laughs> we'll yeah. have that debate in a short Guys, given that the cricket is on, is almost underway, let's get into selection so that we can get back into basketball as well. Um, I don't know how I want to do this, to be honest. It's a little bit different without a special guest because, well, we kind of know what each other all think. I reckon let's start with, let's get the dead certain starters out of the way if there are any. I've got three written down and I may as well get it. So my dead certain starters, and the first one is maybe the most contentious, Marotoje, Freddie Stewart and Jack Willis are my three. Is that does anyone not have how do you come up? How how do you possibly come up with Stuart after what happened in the autumn? Freddie Stewart. Oh, sorry, Freddie Stewart. I'm not Freddie not Stewart, not, yeah, yeah. not 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 the prop. Sorry, Will oh, Stewart. No, no, no. no, but he is picking Freddie Stewart. Man, Nick. He is picking <laughs> Freddie Stewart that tight head prop. No, Will yeah, Stewart. actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Will Stewart is pushing Freddie Stewart hard at fullback. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure he takes it for the moment. <laughs> actually, Will Stewart can kick the ball, no question yeah, he about can, it. To be fair, God, Nate, the daggers came out there. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, they're the all, all the blades are home, no question. Does anyone have any other guaranteed starters? That, or is anyone... Well, I think Jamie George is probably a, a guaranteed starter. I thought he, he finished the season very strongly. That's not to say he's not under pressure. But I, I'd, I'd offer him as a, as a pretty much guarantee. Farrell will start somewhere, and I think it will probably be 10 um, now. But uh, whatever happens, he will start somewhere. Farrell's, Farrell's in my team, for sure. I think it, Farrell's my 10 for the moment. He's just a sort of three and a half guarantee starters because we could if Ford plays ridiculously well in the World Cup warm-ups we could potentially see the 10-12 happen um, my next question was then the main problem positions uh, and Chris I'll come to you well I, I I do understand how England have managed to get to the back end of a World Cup cycle with so few settled units um, we don't know what the best front row unit is, or indeed, or when I say we don't know, we, we all have our views on what the best front row unit might be, but it's not settled in, 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 in the minds, really, of those who are charged, with, as far as I can tell, in the minds of those who are charged with picking the team. We don't know about the second team, uh, we don't know about the second row, we don't know about the back row. Um, I don't think we know about scrum half, I think most of us probably think that Farrell's the 10. We don't know about the best centre partnership and we don't know about the best wing combination. But apart from that, but, I mean, but, pretty but good apart, apart from that, the clarity is overwhelming. 
and um, and it's hurting my eyes. You know, the, the the bright lights are shining at me. So God, I don't know. I don't know where you want to start. I mean, if you want to start with the back three, I mean, I think Anthony Watson has to play uh, on one wing, and I think the other wing is very much up for grabs. I'm very. I'll be very interested to see how Caden Murley develops through this. Um, multi multi-tiered multi-week training camp um but you imagine for an uncapped player he probably has to play in the first warm-up game against Wales which I think is the only warm-up before the final squad is announced I think I'm right in saying apologies if that's wrong but I think there's one one of those the first warm-up game and then the squad's announced and then there's two other warm-up matches um I think from what I've seen of Murley Last year, he has he has plenty to offer. I'm, I, I, I admire Max Malins. I think he's a, a very, very good player going forward. I have quite serious concerns about his defensive capacities. And in fact, Murley's one of the blokes who seems to make a habit of running over him. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the moment, if you're putting me on the spot as to a back three, I would, I think I would, I would say, um, I think I would say Stewart for sure at fullback, Anthony Watson. Right wing, Caden Murley, left wing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And it was in your um, recent column, which I did read, that you made a sort of Nihi Milner Scudder esque, not in terms of the footwork necessarily, but the sort of comparison to a winger coming into a World Cup being drafted. Yeah. I mean, Milner Scudder had had two caps behind him. I mean, he was a complete outlier in that all black side, which was which was as experienced a side as there's ever been. I think in in a World Cup final. I mean, and you had a whole bunch of people going for their, for back-to-back titles. You know, you had your Carters and Nonus and Conrad Smiths who had been there forever. You had Aaron Smith. Um, Joe, Joe Moody was um, was sort of whistled in because um, because of injuries. So he was relatively new. But you have Sam Whitelocks, you had Jerome Kynos, your McCalls. I mean, crikey, they had experience pouring at them. But Milner Scudder was one of those blokes who... Who sort of sees the day? Um, he scored important tries in important games. We haven't seen much of him since last year because of injuries. But you know, Caden, you know, if Caden Murdy could do that, and, and we in, in in the World Cup in the autumn, and um, then we never saw much of him afterwards. I think people would settle for that if he was instrumental in getting England to to a final. I, I just I just think that at the moment, in a not terribly strong position for England, not terribly strong. I think he's one of those blokes who's just has the wind in his sails and, and is, is worth at least a very... He, he should be in the discussion, a very serious discussion. I, think I wouldn't the, disagree with any of that, but there's even more names to mention. So, I mean, I think Roback, Tom Roback at Sale is a fast-developing talent. We haven't mentioned Henry Arundel. Now, I think he, that injury he had was worse than was let on, and he hasn't quite been the same since he came back, but he's having a really good long run of training now. He has got gas and footwork. He's the sort of bloke who could come through a summer training camp absolutely on it. So they've got an enormous range of players to select. I do agree that Watson is, a, is guaranteed on one wing, but the position that is worrying me really is scrum half, because I don't know where we are with scrum half. We've just had the two form scrum halves cut from the squad, Ben Spencer and Harry Randall. Now, I don't understand how this squad works. If you're going to bring them in you and you want to look at them, you have to put them up and test them against the other guys that they are going to be 
competing for places for. That's what they're there for, to bring them in and then cut them before you've even had Ben Youngs and, and um, JVD um, in the squad. So they've come in. Meanwhile, we haven't had a look at Rafi Quirk yet because he hasn't been brought into the squad. Alex Mitchell, to my mind, is the best. And he, he I, I would start with the scenario that you start with him. But you've got Danny Kerr still in the squad. You've got Young's brought into the squad. But there's only room for one old hand as a scrum half in that World Cup squad. There's, there's no batting order at scrum half. There's no, I can't see any sort of logic or seniority. And there's no sort of testing system. I mean, in the Olympics, when you've got rowers and cyclists, you bring them into these camps and you test them against each other exhaustively over four, six, eight weeks, and you come up with a solution. But these people are coming in and disappearing from camps without ever even talking to each other. So I don't know if it's something we're not being told. Are they going to still be... Is Ben Spencer still in the frame? Can he come back in a, in six weeks' time when the, the warm-ups start? I just don't know how it's going to work. There are only so many um, 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 suites at the Penny Hill Park. Um, to, uh, so there's only, only so many players you can have there at one time. But I mean, you mentioned Rafi Quirk, and, and he was a name on everyone's lips. He's not Salesforce pick at the moment. No, no, Gus Wall could even come. I mean, Gus Wall wants to go with England, so he could even, even vault yeah. in ahead. I, I, um, I agree with you about of, I think I'm, I'm sort of, um, the, the Quirk um, debate's an interesting one. Gus Wall's had a, very, uh, had a very good season, but when you look at them, it, it's interesting. You know, again, you see how uh, the Premiership shapes what, what happens for England in, in so many ways. Um, Quirk was uh, once he got fit again at the end of the season in the quarterfinals, semifinals, he came back into the team and they used him as the impact man. So what happened was, was that war, they played their box kicking sort of semi-attritional game for 50 minutes or so. And then they brought on Quirk and the difference in the tempo of the game when he came on was absolutely massive. So mm. War's got his uh, strengths, but one of his strengths is that he can't, uh, one of his weaknesses rather, is that he can't play like Quirk does. Whether mm. Quirk can play like War does, I don't know. But um, I certainly know that Gus War can't play in the way that uh, mm. Rafi Quirk does, just purely yeah. because of the pace. So I, I, I think Mitchell's the, the interesting one for the, for that reason because Mitchell is a high tempo player. Yeah. It's the whole, the whole way Northampton play, but Mitchell will make Mitchell will make some errors, but he yeah. does seem to have the full toolbox when it comes to a decent pass, a decent kicking game, and of course, I mean, in in the long tradition of Northampton scrum halves, recent Northampton scrum halves around the edges, he is a real handful. Yeah, he he is. But I, you know, I mean, there are things about his game as well, you know, and, and, and again, this is a product of the way that Northampton play. Um, I'm not quite sure about how, you know, when you look at, at the top end of the game, you, when you look at the, the international game, a lot of these scrum halves are really very dynamic, pretty robust, physically powerful men. You know, I mean, obviously, you look at the bloke right at the top of the tree, Dupont. One of the reasons that I think Harry Randall is going to struggle is purely because he he, he doesn't have he, he has everything else, but he doesn't have that physical presence. And I wonder whether Mitchell does uh, too. 
Well, um, I, I would say in Mitchell's defence, and I've been a, a supporter of this for a while, um, I, in, in a relatively bare cupboard, I, I, I actually think, I, mean, I don't think there's an absolute killer international scrum half out there available to England, but at least Mitchell has rich experience of being very effective behind a pack that's either beaten not much, not or, much beaten, or beaten up, or at least on the back foot. I mean, Ben Young's terrific behind an England pack going forward. Absolutely terrific. On the back foot, I think Ben's never been the best. Well, look, I mean, can we? one thing that we, we ought to try and do here is to establish whether for any of us, Ben Youngs and Danny Kerr are scrum halves who should be going into this World Cup as part of that 33. My answer is no. My answer is, is that if they want an experienced scrum half, that scrum half ought to be Ben Spencer. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've, I've always, uh, I like Quirk. I, I feel sorry that he hasn't had more game time. Um, uh, and I liked Van Poortfleet in, in the summer. You know, I thought Van Poortfleet was very, very, very good indeed. But I think that, unfortunately, there's arrested development there. He hasn't really sort of kicked on with uh, with with Leicester or England this season, and um, it is up for grabs. You know, I mean, Jerry uh, in his column last week made a very strong and persuasive case for Spencer, um, and you know, but it, it is you know what one of the key positions. And again, you can sort of throw the cards up in the air and see which ones come down. You know, I mean, there's not a, the, nobody has established themselves right. as an out and out front runner, and that right. is up to the, the the players' concern. I mean, in an attempt to try and get some clarity, I would say I'm going to start with Alex Mitchell as a first choice if we're doing selections. I think Rafi Quirk is definitely the best impact guy to have on the bench. But if you're going to have an old lag, and I think you take three scrum half, don't you? If you haven't have an old lag, it's either well, Danny didn't the last time round. Or, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Ben Youngs or Ben Spencer. And it's interesting that you don't class Ben Spencer as the old lag. And he's more of the, you know, um, he's not, well, he's nowhere near as old as the other two, is he? Or is he experienced internationally? Well, he's not, but, but I think, he's 30, he'll be 31 by the time yeah, the World Yeah, and Cup. he's played in Saracens teams that have won huge tournaments and that. Yeah. Uh, but I think it will be one of those three, Spencer, Kerr, Youngs. I'm going for Rafi Quirk as the, you know, the dynamic guy off the bench. And Alex Mitchell's my starter, but I can see them starting with the old lag. Oh, can you? Yeah, yeah. It, what, a Steve Borthwick team, a Steve Borthwick team. I can see them. I can see Ben Young starting big matches. Should we put Mitchell in as a starter? Because it seems I I've got him as my starter for the moment. Uh, Chris, I know you would as well. Nick, yeah, you back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. I, I, I would, um, I'd go, I, I'd go at the moment. I think I'd go with Spencer. You'd go with Spencer, you do it. So you yeah. would go with Spencer. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're three to one in favor of Mitchell. So we'll stick with Mitchell just for the democracy. Um, let's get a left winger because we don't currently have one. I've got Anthony Watson on the right wing. Um, left winger, Chris, you floated Murley. Brendan, you floated Arundel. I've got a ton of names written down as well. Tom, Tom Roebuck is one. Max Malins, Ollie Thorley, Adam Rawan, obviously. Nick, you were calling in your um, a piece you wrote a little while ago for Joe Thock and a singer to come back in. 
Very definitely. So as a starter or just... Anyway. Look, he, he brings something that, that, you know, I mean, Roebuck's a big, a, a, a biggish lad, you know, but Kokonasiga brings something different. You know, he is significantly bigger than any of the other wings that England have got. And at his best, at his best, he is a force of nature. England, at the moment, their midfield is not, you know, is not established. It could be a combination of Lawrence and Tuilagi. Could be. Who knows? You know, Slade might have a say. Marchant might have a say. But if they, you know, physical presence in World Cups is huge. If Kokonasinger is really fit and at his best, if you go back to late 2018, 2019, he was an absolute, you know, he was phenomenal, really, for a, for a kid who'd just been brought in. And it, it's typically English how, I mean, I know that he's been out injured. He came back injured from the World Cup and then we didn't see him for, you know, probably two and a half seasons. You know, he just wasn't on the radar at all for various reasons. But if there's one country that is profligate with the talent at its disposal, <laughs> it's England all the time. I mean, he should be, look, you can talk about special projects and so on and so forth, but he is the sort of player that if he can't maximise on what he's got, well, you know, this happens sometimes. But there were signs early on that he definitely could. Well, the other criticism, of course, he's a defensive bit of a defensive liability. But um, do you think he's do you think he's added to his game? I mean, I agree with you. He 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 hit the he hit the he hit the the, the club scene like a ton of bricks. I mean, he I thought that when he played in the autumn, autumn. I, I thought that when he played in the autumn, I think he played against Argentina. I thought he was one. He was probably arguably England's best player. Well, you know, he had a good game in, in in a not very good. Uh, performance you know he played well and then he was discarded again you know so um it's very difficult to know I mean I don't know whether I don't see enough of Bath to know whether he's um defensively liable because they they've got so many liabilities in defense that it would be difficult to identify him as as uh, as one but he certainly shouldn't be because he's got every single facet that you need to be absolutely formidable in that regard I, I don't know. I must admit, I don't know enough about him to to know how alert he is when it comes to defensive organisation, when it comes to the whole back three working as a unit, all that, all that stuff. I mean, it's very interesting. The French, who like size as much as anyone, are likely to pull Villiers back in on the left, on the left wing for for the big matches. Who's who's a who's a squirt, isn't he? Um, but what he does do in in a in a Merle esque kind of way, actually, is he's. He he can, you, say, he can win you some you know, ball on the floor. He's more powerful um, and, and squat and powerful than maybe he looks. I mean, I mean, Murdy looks squat and powerful. Villiers doesn't look uh, quite. I'd say, that, I'd say that Villiers is is more dynamically powerful than than Murley. Perfectly, perfectly possible. Yeah. I, mean, I think he's is some player, but, but what he isn't is what he isn't is big. He's the best counter rucker in the in, in yeah. the French side, but what he isn't either is small. You know, I mean, he, he's not he's not a uh, will of the wisp. And the oh, other guy, incidentally, that they bought in for for um, uh, Dumortier, yeah. he is much much bigger 
than I think people think he's about 6'4". Yeah. So, you know, they have got a big wing option. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 they have. But the, the, the I, I get the tail of the tape argument. I, I, I do completely. But in the end, the art of selection is is who's, you know, within the pounds and ounces and, and feet and inches available, who's going to give you the most? Who yeah. is going to give you the most, both individually and yeah. unit-wise? Fascinating, because if you looked, if you look at the end of the season and you look at the players who have re who really made their mark, people have been, you know, so far on this, Malins has got a fairly sort of um, uh, lukewarm reception. He was electric. Oh, oh going forward. He's I mean, yeah. Murley, unfortunately for Caden Murley, he was playing in a Quinn side that fizzled out massively, whereas, you know, Malins was in many ways the strike, you know, the key strike weapon for uh, Saracens in winning the title. And he I mean, does have a rugby intelligence about him. I mean, he's played, yeah, enough, yeah. He's played enough at 10 and at fullback to bring, to bring the vision thing and, and the, the rugby understanding to his game. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not massively against Maidens. I, I just simply think that he might leak you a try somewhere when you really don't need it. And, and the yeah. other thing that would worry me with a back three of Freddie Stewart... Anthony Watson and Joe Cockensinger is that it just lacks a bit of cutting edge there. Anthony Watson is looking quick when he gets up full steam, but he's not a gas merchant in the first 20, 30 yards. And at test level, I just feel with all England resources, one of the wings ought to be a flyer. Guys, we've got we've got to put a name in here. Um, I want to get our back line completed and move on to the pack. So what I'm hearing is the three front runners for that 11 shirt right now are Murley, Thockensinger and Roebuck. Um, and Arundel, oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> or you, or you can chuck Watson on the left wing and and, and pick Maidens on the right. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Is mm. I mean, Arundel's really difficult because we, yeah, we've played we've rock, seen yeah. what what he can do, but really that was last. I mean, it was last summer. We saw a little bit of him in the. Uh, he, he 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 got over the line uh, in in the Six Nations. But we've seen very, very little of him over the course of this season. Uh, you, you'd sort of want him in, but um, in the training camp will 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 be the the proof of the pudding, really. Yeah. And at the moment, realistically, can you put him in? Probably not. So I reckon let's put him in as potentially a finisher rather than a starter for the moment. Uh, Brendan, without Arundel, who's your first choice? I like what I've seen with Tom Roebuck, so I'm going to go with him. But I know, <laughs> with democracy, I know that won't be our choice. Well, I don't know. Nick was quite keen for him as well. Yeah, My first I like choice him. is actually not going to singer who has come into form at the right time. And I think that adds a bit of, if Manu isn't fit, that adds a bit more oomph where Ollie Lawrence loses a tiny, tiny bit to Manu. So, I, Nick, I don't know if your first choice is not going to singer. That's two votes for him if that is the case. Um, yeah, look, I mean, there, there's so much depends on what happens in this training camp and in these warm-up games. But yeah, on on what I think he can bring if he's at his best, he's got X factor, and you know, uh, I would say yes. Talking a singer, Chris, do you have any objections? No, no, no. I'm I'm like Nick. I'm a natural Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> Talking a singer in then, 
So, oh, and then we haven't even got to the midfield. Bloody hell. Um, okay. Oh, I'm taking on. Tuilangi and Tuilangi. <laughs> <laughs> I've got seven names down to fit into two slots. So I've got <laughs> Tuilangi Slade, Dan Kelly, Lawrence, Elliot Daly, Alex Wazowski, and Joe Marchant. Are there any other names anyone else wants to throw in? Or, or eliminate straight away and say, nah, they're not looking. Well, Dan Kelly has, has not been called into the squad, so I think no. that's a pretty big cue, uh, clue yeah. that he's not going to be in there. Yeah, um, he's quite far down on my list. Unfortunately. For me, this one's quite easy, actually. If fit, it's uh, Slade and Lawrence with, with Manu on the bench. Uh, I think, for once, England might finally have nailed it there, but um, I know England have managed to crop Dan Lawrence in the... Uh, in the train, and he's out for six weeks now. Uh, but hopefully, that's nothing too serious, and, and he'll sort of be there for at least a couple of the warm ups. I look, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, um, I'm very encouraged by what's what Lawrence has done. Very encouraged, and and I, one of the reasons I'm encouraged is that he, if you're going to insist on your, your truck it up, man, at 12, he can do quite a lot of that stuff. Uh, but it seems to me, especially when, when he was playing outside Max Ajomo at Bath at the back end of the season. And Ajomo, I think he's, I mean, he's obviously not going to figure in this, um, but I think he's got a lot going for him. I think he does different things and sees the game in slightly different ways to your average 12. I think Lawrence, with his power and his pace and his aggression and his directness, to me, that makes him a pretty good 13. I don't have big ones with Tulangi at 13. My, my, my problems with Tulangi are always at 12. Because uh, I find him entirely predictable. So in 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 terms of that, I, and you can mix and match Slade Lawrence. You can you can um, you can do what um, you can do what England tried to do um, back in 2015 with Slade and the late lamented Sam Burgess. I.e., whenever you add the ball, you kept Sam Burgess away from it. Um, but it was uh, but but they mix and match. Slade would drift between twelve and thirteen. He became the second second footballer, second playmaker when you needed it. I think they're going to need that kind of flexibility, and uh, I, that that's very important. If you're not going to play Farrell at twelve, which I don't think they will, then I think a Slade and Lawrence um, combination, just with a little bit of fluidity about it, is as good as we're going to get at this late stage of the game. Again, Slade Slade and Marchant. Pretty, you know, pretty low-key ends to the season. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, a six-week layoff for Lawrence at this juncture is not good news at all. It's unhelpful. Um, I think that uh, he's he's somebody who, who probably needs to find another gear in terms of fitness. I'm sure he's got it. Um, but you know, to get the best out of him, he needs to be really, um, really firing, and uh, that's a concern. Tuilagi, on the other hand, you know, Sale got to a Premiership final. Tuilagi looked um, leaner and fitter uh, in those last um, knockings of the season. Than I'd seen him for a while. He was also breaking the gain line against Saracens on a number of occasions. Um, so I don't, I don't write him out of the equation at all. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the depth that they've got, you know, got in midfield. I certainly like Lazowski, particularly if uh, if Farrell is a, is at ten. 
Lazowski knows Farrell's game inside out. And um, he's defensively, I think, uh, unlike Eddie Jones, I think he's a pretty, um, a, a, you know, very, very sound defensive player now. And I also think he's a smart footballer all round. So, you know, he he's good news. Um, I think Slade, as, you know, Slade's obviously um, a playmaker, but he needs to find some form. Um, and Marchant also. I think that they were both off, you know, a little bit off the pace at the end of the season. I, I think it, I think if Slade's, um, and I agree with you about, well, Exeter in general, I mean, I mean it all went a bit flat in the end and, and you know, I mean, the place was in a bit of a pickle um, um, on the field uh, by the end of the season. I think if Slade is is... Drops drops off the radar for any reason. There's a little bit is either either too flat or not quite thin enough or whatever it is. I think Lazowski brings an awful lot of what Slade can bring. You know, they they've both got that. You know, spent a lot of time in the ten position. They've both got kicking games. They're both organized defensively, organizationally pretty good. Lazowski being the more aggressive defender than Slade, I would say. Um, I, I think Lazowski's got a lot to offer. And I'd be I'd be slightly disappointed if he did, if he didn't make the thirty three. I think he I think he he carries quite a bit with him. I think it was BBC Sport that did a pick your own England fifteen recently, and the winning midfield combination was actually Lawrence at twelve, Tuolangi at thirteen. Nick, do you think that has any legs at all? Well, it has lots of legs for obvious reasons. Look at the size of them, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I do. I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree uh, agree with Chris about Tuilangi at twelve. I, I I I still like that idea of a twelve who is going to take you over that gain line fast, hard and fast, so that you can you, you can play off them, and that is a very English um, strength. That that game is sort of in our in our DNA, if you like, in the way that we play, and if if Tuilangi is still robust enough to be able to do that for a World Cup campaign, I certainly would look at it. Lawrence is, is, is not as big a man, um, but he can, he, he can do it. He showed that he can do it. Um, but I, I think that he might offer a little bit more uh, one out. But look, there's a hell of a lot of interchangeability in, you know, in phase play as it is at the moment anyway. So it's not quite, it's more from set piece than anything. Yeah. And that even then, there are lots of different moves that you're going to spring at uh, at various times. So I'm not sure who's wearing what shirt is 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 absolutely crucial. And the last three times we've made a World Cup final, we haven't had a trucker up twelve. Very true. Will Greenwood, yeah. Mike Cap. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. we lost two of them. <laughs> also true. <laughs> well, indeed. Once again, we're in need of a name. I think we're all in agreement that if Lawrence is fit, he's in there wearing one of 12 or 13. I'm going Slade. Slade and Lawrence. Slade and Lawrence. Should we put that for the moment? I'm sticking with Slade and Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, I'll go to What are you going to do, Ollie? I'll go to Alagi and Lawrence. See, I'm swaying towards Tuolangi and Lawrence as well. But then if we go Thock and Singer, Tuolangi and Lawrence, then it does all feel like a little bit, we've just got to truck it up, Merchants. That. Sounds powerful. Yeah, it, it's us. Oh, it does sound powerful. On the right way, you can put a Jersey cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you. <laughs> Same difference. 
I've got to say, anyone who knows me knows that that's like my my perfect backline. But I'm not sure we can say that. So I will accept Slade and Lawrence, but say that if I'm not going to see a dozen come through, I'd love to see two and Angie Lawrence given a go because that would be yeah fairly okay. terrifying. I'm also I'm just not that Slade is not in great form. I don't think he's ever quite hit the heights in an English shirt that anyone would hope he would. We've spoken on this podcast a few times about how he should have been given. He's 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 a twelve. I think you know. I think so. Absolutely. How an I think he's hit, I think he's 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 hit the heights, um, Ollie. You know, I mean, in Dublin in 2018, Slade was uh, immaculate. He played superbly. He did play well, but to say he's hit consistent heights certainly, I think, would be a massive stretch. Um, it's, and especially in the last year or two, you know, he was very. He he was played, I think he played very very well in the 2019 World Cup as well. I was going to say, World Cup 2019, apart from yeah, the yeah, final, you're very good. And you can't, you can't, but, you know, you're going to need, you're going to need some kicking somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the kicking game in midfield is pretty important. I mean, I mean, I know, I know the the, the, the French don't have one, for instance, um, but you damn sure the All Blacks do. Yeah, and then you oh, ask the question, why has someone like Manu not developed a, t- a kicking game? With oh, please, it's all he can do to catch cold, man. Don't ask him to do anything else. It's just, think, it's just confusing. I think I think Fiku can kick. He, he can Fiku just can do it. Nono obviously added it. Diolende's added a kicking game. I mean, yeah, it's it's it, it's all happened when you've been around for that long. But anyway, that's another question. On that basis, let's go with Slade and Lawrence. So we've got a back line. We've got a back line. We've got a seven in Jack Willis. If any, unless someone objects, we've got a two in Jamie George. Unless someone objects, Brennan, you're frowning. Uh, yeah. Seven is seven has not decided yet. Um, Jack, the, the, the forces with Jack Willis, fair play, what a great season, and he's now a, a T14 champion, out and out Jackler. You've got Sam Underhill has now come back on the scene, a magnificent player who unfortunately hasn't been able to keep fit for about three years, but if he's fit and firing in camp. He immediately comes back into the reckoning. Tom Curry has been 5% off his game for about two years, in my opinion, ever ever since the Lions tour. But a a rejuvenated Tom Curry is a mighty player. Played well in the final. Played well in the final the other week. Yeah, you've got three sevens there. And my fear is that they might try and mess around with Tom Curry and get him to play at six or eight just just to get two of those three in the team. Because I think the number six has to be a number six, a big beast uh, ball carrier, Tom Pearson. He has, to, for me, you have to have that sort of player at six. Eight is going to be either Zach Mercer, Don Brandt, or uh, Vunipola, probably. So the seven, I think, now becomes a massive fight. And how ridiculous is it that England have got three such great sevens and only one can play in the position? But that, that, they're going to have to bite the bullet just as they're going to have to bite the bullet with the 10 selection. I go Tom Curry all day long. He's he's the nearest thing to an absolutely unchallengeably world class seven at his best that we produced. For, we have to assume at his best. And and yeah, yes, uh, yeah, I get the thing. I mean, there's there's only there's only so many times you can turn up and play like he does, uh, and 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 hold everything together and be you know ninety five percent etc. Game on game on game. Yes, he'll have his dips and troughs, but I think he's a bright player. I think he will have targeted this tournament. I think that he will be ready for this tournament. If if 
all of those seven candidates, I don't think any of us can hold our breath for Underhill. I mean, whether Underhill will ever be the player he was, you know, two, three. And yet they, they've kept him in the score. That, the reason well, I mentioned that is that well, well, I thought he was going to be cut. He they have cut at this point. He's still uh, in the score. I, I think Curry does virtually everything that Jack Willis does, plus five other things. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that. I think that um, <laughs> Curry, I think Curry. I Be a think bit more decisive, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> Curry and Willis are neck and neck. I think that they're different uh, players. I think that um, Willis does things that Curry doesn't do as well and vice versa. Um, I'm, uh, you know, Curry's had a lot more international experience uh, so far than Jack Willis has. Jeff, if Jack had had the same amount of uh, of uh, experience and hadn't been injured in the way in which he was twice, then I think we might be looking at a, uh, a very, very, very much a neck and neck thing. And, and actually, we are. So, um, and then you've got Ben Earl as well in the in the equation. The thing that I think is, is that turnover ball, you know, whether we hate the jackal position or not. Just there. <laughs> um, the turnover ball is crucial, and Willis is um, is I would say you know he's he's a step ahead of uh, of Curry in that regard. I thought that Curry played pretty well at the end of the season. I thought that he was good in the semi final and in the final for sale. Um, I, I, his discipline's improving a bit, but he's he's a bit of a penalty magnet. Uh, uh, Tom, he does pick up cards. Yeah. And um, look, as far as the, you know, the balance of the back row is concerned, it's always crucial. But, you know, if in a, in a way you look at what happened in 2019 and we've we've got a problem because, you know, the combination of Underhill and um, and Curry in the quarterfinal and the semifinal was brilliant um, in the final. It wasn't so brilliant, and my I sort of think that you could Willis Willis has got enough height. Willis is six three. He's got enough height to give you a line out option. Pearson is unproven. We've got to know something about Pearson before he get you, you know he gets there. He should get a run, hopefully in these warm up games, and we'll see. Um, but at the moment. The, the other thing is, I thought that Ezequi, who I think has really blown hot and cold for a very, very long time, I thought that he was bloody good yeah. for Saracens in both of those big games at, at six. He's a very, very good line-out forward. In fact, he's potentially a great line-out forward. And I also like the look of George Martin towards the, the end of the season. He looks to me as if he's matured. So I think we might have two big units in Ezequi and Martin who could come in at, at, at six. So they've got a hell of a, 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 a mix. They, they can actually almost choose what they want there. You know, they've got, they've got the opportunity to have big blind sides. They've got the opportunity to have real... Um, you know, really strong players over the ball in Willis and, and, and Curry double teaming. Mercer, for me, you know, the number eight thing is is a huge conundrum. You know, Dombrand, is, again, didn't really nail it 
And he looks as if, again, he needs to find another gear in fitness. Um, Billy Vunapola, okay, we know what Billy can do. I'm not totally convinced that he's the player that he was. You know, somebody said, well, he's added more to his game, but he's not quite the bloke who can go from a standing start and sort of smash his way through a brick wall. Well, that's what you want. You know, that's what you to be, to be honest, Billy's position is, is, is a bit weird, isn't it? I, I mean, I remember Bob Dwyer saying about a Bristol prop that he was so slow, he's the only bloke he'd ever seen who could decelerate from a standing start, which was quite amusing. Um, I I do think, I don't, I don't, I I think that Billy Boonapone is going backwards now. I think Zach, I'd be disappointed if Zach Mercer did not, over the course of this extended training period, stamp some real personality on that place. He's a terrific footballer. His ground coverage is, is very significant. He's been through the fires of top 14 uh, seasons, multiple seasons, and come out as most valuable player. He's won a title, he's done this and everything else. He is, he is a genuinely skillful, rugby instinct rich number eight. And um, one guy you, you haven't no, the one guy you haven't mentioned for six, who I would I, w- I would certainly consider very carefully, I wouldn't be, I would not lose any sleep over a back row of Tom Curry at seven, Zach Mercer at eight, and Courtney Laws at six. Oh no, I don't want Courtney at six. Really? Like, no, Courtney needs to be second row. And in fact, I think Nick actually is, I've forgotten Nick as equally. England undoubtedly want a line-out man in the back row. I, they just they just do. They always have in recent years. And he actually would be an outstanding line-out man. I still, I, I think England lack a carrying power of somebody like Tom Pearson, especially since Bruno Pola hasn't featured. Now, Courtney is, is a great player, and I want him in the second row with Itoji. I want those two. Not Ollie Chesson. I want a fully fired up Courtney and a restored Maro Itoji is my second row. But number six is, has been a problem position for England. I want Tom Pearson to have a go. Nick has persuaded me that um, Ezekiel would be worth a good look at. But it's an important position because they've got to decide what they want from their number six. Do they want the power carrying player? Do they want the, the line out beam pole? Do they want the athlete? Do they want another mongrel? Do they want another? The best, the best you know, cat, big carrying uh, uh, six, uh, you know, Pearson is, is very dynamic. No question about that. I'm not putting him out of the equation at the moment because we don't know it at the highest level. But the best bloke that they've got at making yards is Martin. That is his strength. He's good at it. Um, but look, it's a uh, they what they've got is they've got as ever they've got a, a huge number of candidates in, in the back row, a lot of them not separated by a hell of a lot. Um, Zach Mercer, I think, you know, from what I saw of him in France, he's a different player. He looked miles fitter than he ever looked at Bath, miles fitter, yeah. and his footwork is tremendous and pick up. But he's not the biggest eight. You know, he's not the biggest eight. And that so, you know, you that that sort of plays again towards having a bigger six. Shall we put Zach Mercer at eight? Because I think that's the only eight at the moment that I have well, I have fewest qualms picking. Because like you said, yeah. Don Brandt didn't. He's also the only bloke ever to go to France and get fitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I Let's think that, that I think that that's one of the old tropes that's probably beginning to die a death. I think I, th I, th I think I've 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 never been reluctant to tell a cheap joke. <laughs> <laughs> Six or seven. See, I'm of the opinion that we should be playing Tom Curry at six and Jack Willis at seven. Um, but I do hear what you're saying about, especially if you have an under undersized number eight. I know Zach Mercer has got a bit bigger since he went to France, but he's certainly no Billy V or Aldrit or whoever. It's or Don Brand. He's not as big as Don Brand. He's not as big as Don Brand, no. Um, I'm open to opinions for six. Well, we haven't got. I don't think one name has been mentioned more than once by any of us. So, oh, uh, last last time I met, last time I mentioned um, um, an idea at six, I was mocked and laughed at, and <laughs> and, 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 and 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 shot down in flames. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Courtney Courtney Laws. All oh, right, you, right you, named, well, you named four ingredients of your ideal six. Yeah, and, he, and he's, he's got them. He's, he's got, got them all. all. <laughs> he's got them all. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, I, 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 I didn't mock you on that occasion. Every other occasion, but not that one. <laughs> hey, things are getting really weird. Now, we've already had Zach Mercer getting fitter in France, and now Nick Kane's not mocking me. This is a very strange discussion. But Corny's becoming a bit of a Sam Underhill, and that you just can't count on him to be fit. There is a bit of that, yeah. yeah well, there is, there is a bit. I mean, I mean, I'm assuming we're talking about in an ideal world and everyone's fit, mate. Yeah. You know, I mean, or else I wouldn't have mentioned Ollie Chesson. I mean, Chesson is clear. I mean, Chesson was was terrific. Yeah. Until he got injured. I mean, absolutely terrific. He, he, he's the last bloke out of that side. What at, his, at the point of his injury, he's the last bloke you're going to drop. But obviously, there's a difference between someone who has an injury and someone who's injury prone. And you're going to bank on Chesson to come back. Whereas Courtney Laws, by this point, you would say he's injury prone. He is quite. Yeah. Hang on, is Courtney Courtney's come into the squad um, this this for this week? Has he? Yes, he must have done yeah. with the Northampton boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really at a loss with this one, guys. I uh... Nick Azikwe has had two good mentions, and now that Nick's come into into bat with Chewy, we've had two good mentions for Courtney. So perhaps yeah. you want to make a decisive well, choice. I would, I would definitely go for the bloke who has played. For the British Lions and has captained England, and yeah, until he's ruled out because of um, you know uh, injury issues or, or concussion issues or whatever, I think you would go with that sort of experience. You know, I mean, he's a hell of a you know he's a he's a proven. But basically, we've gone but, with him at five because the scrum, which we'll get onto in a second, always seems to look stronger with Laws's muscle behind the front row. Yeah, I mean, Courtney is always in my team. Don't get me wrong. I just feel that okay. you're being perverse not to pick Courtney and Mara Toji as the second rows. Well, look, my my back row. If you know, Borthwick said he wants to play fast. Okay, fast back row. Willis at six. Mercer. At eight, Curry at seven. That's my that that's what I go for at the moment. Yeah, I don't think you can ignore Jack Jack Willis. I don't think you can ignore Tom Curry and Mercer, even though he hasn't. You know, I mean, he, he's got no test form. Um, there are there the the other options at the moment aren't great. 
Well, well, I'll go with the honourable Nick Kane on that one, but I do want a big beast on the bench, a big ball carrier, if we suddenly yeah. need some impact. I've given, but given they're unproven in an England shirt, most of them, the Tom Pearsons, the, I mean, the Zeques, has he still got a single fit? I don't know, 10 caps, something like that, maybe a couple more. Let's go with one of them on the bench. Let's go Laws in the second row, and then Curry Willis Mercer back row. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, Chris. God, no. But there we go. But I, I'm happy to be in a minority. And if you want a big beast on on the bench, if it's not on the right wing, you've still got the Jersey cag. <laughs> <laughs> one, one other name, boys. Um, Joe Launchbury is he back in the frame? He's. I think he's back training with Quinns. He's the sort of second row, the George Cruz type second row that England would quite like to play in probably one or two of the pool matches and possibly have on the bench. I love Joe the bits, uh, and and I I think he's 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 in a he's sort of Simon Shaw and Lucky in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, yeah. but I think there's been a a lot of water of different currents, very poetic, has gone under the bridge since he was last a real uh, you know a, a nailed on England uh, type forward. I mean, I'm sure yeah. he'll come under consideration and he'll be discussed, and I'd love to think he might be one of the one of the one of the 33 um you know he's 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 earned it really uh but whether whether you you talk a joe at the moment is in in a, in a starting 15 there's a, a a lot has happened since he was in the starting 15 he's, he's not in the squad this week either i don't think so yeah i know he's there. i just wondered if yeah. it was yeah he's in cow and dicky land isn't he he's looking he, there he's he's injured and chesham as well yeah, they're, they're keeping an eye on them as they as they um, stage their recoveries from their latest ailments. Well, one other name I've just clocked that we haven't mentioned in the contest of the back row is Lewis Ludlam, who is also without and doubt he, an option at eight. Um, but he's bound to go. He's 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 back. He's bound to try. He'll be in the yes. Exactly. He, he, he's he, your all-purpose backup he, man. He, he all covers all well, he's protein, isn't he? Yeah. He, he'll be in there, well, not in the starting line necessarily, but he'll certainly be in the discussions where six, six, seven, or eight, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a, a, a Richard Hill without, um, um, not without the talent, that'd be really harsh, but he, but, but he does have that, he, he does offer that range of, uh, that range of expertise and, and, and also a little bit like, um, uh, a little bit like a couple of the guys we were talking about earlier. I mean, well, and indeed Lewis Moody. Nobody, no, nobody wears it more proudly than him. Crikey, he gets stuck in. Yeah. I, I, I admire the bloke's energy and commitment and optimism and just general effervescence. I think he's. You want him in the camp, don't you? I you think want him in the camp for five he's weeks. He's been tremendous. Weeks. He's been tremendous. Yeah. You know, in a in a rough in a rough period selection wise. At times he's been he's been terrific. Yeah, but it's a hugely, you know, it's a hugely congested area. There, oh, there are so many. Yeah, and you, and you have, yeah, there are people like uh, and in this whole back five discussion, I'm talking about the two hill. I mean, there's Ted Hill hanging around, who you know we know Borthwick likes, uh, and is you know in the squad at the moment, and of course Johnny Hill in the the second row side of things. So it's. Um, it is a, the, the back five of Australia is massively congested. Have England ever gone into a World Cup with so few starters nailed on? 
No, I can't. I can't, I can't remember a time. I mean, 2007 was a weird. 2007 was a weird old spell because they actually. I, I mean, Brian was. Brian Ashton was sort of. He, I mean, he was struggling for scrum arms, and um, there were there were horrendous injuries at the start, weren't there? And uh, I mean, it was a very strange period. That whole period. So that's that's the nearest. That's the nearest mm-hmm. I can remember. Uh, the 2003 squad, there were a couple of relative latecomers, weren't there, in the World Cup winning squad. Trevor Woodman hadn't won stacks of caps. Neither had Steve Thompson, I don't think. Not he'd not won hundreds, that's for sure. Um, but, and Josh like, Lucy had just come in from the cold, and, didn't he? And Josh, but, but everyone else had been there for, for, a, fair, for, a, fair old, for a fair old time. Um, so, yes, I, I think this is, un, this is unusual. And it's not as though the cupboard is bare. The cupboard is just full of people that you can't quite distinguish between, which doesn't make it any easier. Let's look. Oh, yeah, I've started to get a headache from too many names and too much difficulty. So let's let's um, no Ludlam in there, but certainly that was a bit of an oversight. So apologies for not mentioning him earlier. Itoje Laws, Curry, Willis, Mercer, or Willis Curry. It doesn't matter. Six or seven. Front row. Have we got Jamie George at hooker? There are, I've, I had a lot of hookers down just in terms of bolters. I, we were obviously singing Theo Dan's praises um, after the Premiership final a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, He's got some zip about him. He, he does have some zip about him, actually. Yeah, he does. And, yeah. And, and, you know, I, 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 I think he's been very impressive from, from what I've seen. Really very good. And, and if, if, if you were, go, if you were going to pick three, uh, and Cowan and Cow- and Cowan Dickey is fit, and who knows with 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 him? I mean, crikey! Um, then then Dan might he might be the the uncapped Third. the uncapped bolter. George McGuigan played very very well actually the last time I saw him play. Um, but yeah, I like Dan. Um, you know, he's he's playing with a side on a roll, mind you. But yeah. but he's lively. Very I have, I have nine names down here. I think nine, maybe eight <laughs> for three hooker spots, which I mean, it's okay. just insane. Nick, I know you're a fan of Tom Dunn. No, no, Jamie, <laughs> I, you're a fan of one of Jamie. I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I, Jamie, I don't, Jamie I don't, I don't miss him at all, but I don't, I don't think that he's quite, um, there at test level. Never mind. Jamie Blabire, I think you are a fan of. He very much so. Yeah. And he no, will be I, a I better that, player in a better team. Yeah. Lamar, as he goes up and plays better quality rugby, he gets better. So we've got, well, either way, I think we've got Jamie Jordan as our starter. We can't say any of those names because I've got Theo Dan, Nick Dolly, Jack Walker, Tom Dunn, Jamie Blamire, George McGuigan, Luke Cowandicki, Jamie George as, as eight names. Um, Nick looks like he has something to say, but he's frozen. Yeah. Brendan, Chris, any objections to Jamie George as our starter for the moment? No, not at all. I think Jamie's yeah. back, here, back in charge. And, and, and also, he, he seems to me to be uh, a big a big figure off the field as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, I mean, you know, he's, he's sort of the world's nicest bloke, isn't he? He's, he's not, he's, doesn't seem to me to be uh, one of life's natural egotists. He's, um, uh, I, I, th- I think it's been, been terrific. I remember arguing with Stuart Lancaster, uh, that he should have been picked for 2015. He was, of course, eventually picked for 2015 World Cup when when Dylan Hartley managed to nod himself out of the um, out of the equation. But but Jamie's terrific, and it was no surprise to me when he came from 
from behind the behind the field to win the Lions starting places in 2017. Uh, I, I mean, it may it may be that he's just over the hill a little bit. Um, Jamie, I mean, he's had a long stint in a tough position, but I do think that just his natural, his whole sort of approach and body language and what have you, and as a technician, that's the last thing that goes. Um, he, he might fall off the old tackle now, but scrum line eight ain't many better. Nick's disappeared. I think he's had some connection issues. So just as we were going to bring him in for the front row, um, he's decided he doesn't fancy it. Yeah. I will just say, right, give me both of your props, Chris. Ellis Genge, Carl Sinclair. Um, however, uh, yes, Ellis Genge, Carl Sinclair. Oh, oh, so my caveat is Ellis Genge, no question. I, I don't have a problem with him at all. Although I think people like Rapaba, Ruskin, and what have got plenty to prove and they've got plenty to offer. But I think at the moment, Genge is nailed on. Uh, my caveat with Sinclair is it has to be Sinclair with an Apollo-sized rocket up his rear end. <laughs> because he, ju- he just makes me climb the walls. When I first saw him play, he walked around the field. He could obviously play. Yeah, I mean, this is back, you know, pre, you know, 2014, 2013, whatever it was. When he was first in the Harlequin side. Um, and he was a, a terrific ball carrier. Soft hands, rugby intelligence, you know, just got on the end of things and in the middle of things that you maybe wouldn't see tight heads do that commonly. But crikey, he was walking around and you think if ever you get yourself fit, mate, and properly tuned in, you'll be a world-class tight head. And I'm still saying that and it's 2023. Drives me nuts. He's got all the talent in the world, that lad. Brendan? Uh, Yeah, no no arguments with Gange and Sinclair. Uh, just keep an eye on Joe Marler. He seems to be fully committed. He's in the squad. I mean, you know, if he didn't fancy it, he would have dropped out by now. Knowing Joe, he's still a bloody good prop. He'll get really, really fit in this camp. Hasn't started for England for three years, I think. But I think he will come into the equation. But at, at the moment, I'd go against Sinclair, assuming, as Chris said, that Sinclair is fully on it, as they say. Marla could certainly do the old Jason Leonard roll off the of the, the, the two thousand three off the bench when it's all when it's all getting a little bit nervy. You know, if England somehow got to the final and they're in extra time, you could quite see Joe doing the Jason Leonard. It's all right, Clive. Leave it to me. You know, <laughs> going on and, and uh, uh, of course Jason was a little bit more disciplined, or if he wasn't disciplined, he was a little bit more. Um, he was a little bit more cute in his indiscipline than Joe can be at times. Mm. Uh, um, no, I can, I can, I can sort of see Marler in a weird way play, playing a, playing a role because just because of the kind of figure he is and and what have you, he's he's one of those guys that when you're in camp and and you need that kind of elder statesman, seen it all, done it all, slapped a few, crack a few jokes, play a few practicals on people, all the kind of thing that makes um, makes a decent squad, you know, in a World Cup environment. He may well play the he may well play the role. Conversely, he may just annoy everyone and will not be worth his place. But uh, I would I would hope that he would it would be quite good in a way to see him to see him uh, um, locking horns with the French. That would be very funny. I know that Nick would be singing Rapava Ruskin's praises. Yeah, he's a good player. I think for him to start ahead of Genge, and I reckon you know. I'm going to um, do that purely on scrum. Well, not purely on scrummaging ability, but largely on scrummaging ability. And then you'd have Genge coming off the bench, which would be bomb squad-esque, which would be 
pretty formidable but I mean just a comment about so when I do these things I make you know lists of all the names in contention and obviously back row flankers especially there's tons nine there's tons hooker there's tons tight head prop nightmare I mean I've got Sinclair Cole Will Stewart Rapava Ruskin and then Davison who's obviously a bit of a bolter just been cut anyway Davison yeah he has and Joe Hayes is obviously is a is a bit of a bolter as well, so he's probably one I neglected to put on the list. But well, Rapala Ruskin has a both sides uh, element, he does. Which, he does. which is which is pretty damn valuable. I mean, and going back to the remarks about Jason Leonard, that's exactly what he offered in two thousand and three. Um, so that's that's important. I think Rapala Ruskin's a really good player. I mean, I, I'd like to see him stay fit fit for longer than three seconds, but it's um, I, th- I think he's a very good player, and and it, it's perfectly possible that he will. We'll we'll nail a place through his efforts in this training camp. Perfectly possible, I think. Nick has rejoined us. So just before we wrap up, Nick, who's your starting front row? Well, you're starting prop. Sorry, presuming you've got Jamie George. Yeah, I I guess you know until until George is it, you know doesn't actually cut it at test level, you have to go with him. Um, I think that I would uh, go for a change. I wouldn't have either of the Bristol props. Um, I would have, I, I don't think, I mean, they finished ninth in the league. They probably had more wins without, um, when those uh, two guys were not playing. Um, I don't think that they had great international seasons uh, at all. Um, I would go with Rapava Ruskin at loose head. I'd give him a go because you need to find backup. I thought I think Bevan Rod has come on a lot. I think his scrummaging's come on a lot. He's a very good player around the field. Um but uh and at 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 tight head, Shonnet did a very good job um for sale. They outplayed the uh the Leicester front row. Incidentally, a bolter at, at Loosehead could be Simon McIntyre on the uh, on the sale Loosehead. Um, but uh, Shonnet is not, he, he's not an all singing, all dancing prop. He's a prop um, and he's solid. Um, so I, I would definitely look at him. And the other guy that they were going to look at that they've obviously decided not to, or he's not fit again, was is Will Collier, who again, as a scrummaging tight head, is, uh, is very good. And I don't know um, where uh, Balmain is uh, for Gloucester, but he had a very, very good season until he was uh, injured. Um, so they do have options at tight head and they need to start looking at them. I think Shawmut's a good player. I, I, I mean, I've long thought he was a very good player. Again, injuries have messed him around and he's, you know, he doesn't last that much of a game often, but... There again, if you if your bench is strong enough, then that's fine. I I, I think it raises some some interesting points there. Um, you know, while you were away, Nick, we were just making the point that Sinclair with a rocket up his rear end is would be is is sort of still my man, but he's uh, he's on slightly thin ice. I do agree. Um, and if we're really looking for a, a tight head outside of the um, outside of the equation, then the, the Jersey cow is obviously a possibility there also. I think you've milked that one for long enough. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Tell the other one. Oh, yeah. 
Well, well, that's, that's all very good. And the, the reason I didn't say Jersey Bull was that <laughs> you could tell those really terrible jokes. <laughs> okay. Um, Jersey Cows is displaying a lot of versatility here. Jersey Cows yeah. about three yeah. or four positions. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, well absolutely. I mean, he's... Um, well, <laughs> Eddie Jones well, always wanted a winger who could play in the back. Well, and, 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 and as Ian McGeekin would say, he is a test match animal. <laughs> Can we end this pod before the puns get just worse and worse? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think in the front row, we've had three votes for Genge, although I was kind of half a vote for Genge. Um, yeah, Nick, curiously, your front row was exactly the same as you said back in January of this year. So full marks for consistency. Uh, Shauna was a name I neglected to mention. That was my fault. Um, Genge, George. Uh, Rapava, Ruskin, George. Genge, George. And then we could go Rapava, Ruskin at tight head. Um, just for balance. Have I, have I just frozen there, guys, by the way? No, if I know. No. Hang on, why Rapava Ruskin at tighthead? Have you you've discovered that he's played there in the past? Has he? I think he does. Well, we said this last time we spoke about him in January, and he hasn't yeah, played there since. It's a it's a very very difficult thing to do to just in particularly it nowadays is, yeah. to just um, you know parachute a guy across in a in a World Cup year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Straight in the tighthead, <laughs> you may be asking a lot. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, oh. I don't know. It's just we were just saying how sparse the tight head options are. Yeah, well, they could um, do worse than look in your neck of the woods. Uh, Billy Walker, I think, is the name of the guy, the Cambridge uh, tight head who was an England under twenty tight head when they won the World Junior yeah, Championship. I, I read you wrote about that. Didn't yeah, you? Never, never heard of him. I can't lie. No, um, but okay, that's interesting. You and many, many others. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Let's put the Jersey cow at three because. I don't think we have any real consensus with the sort of four or five names that, you know, it's okay to not have an entire consensus. Nick, I thought you might be interested here. I, I did some digging and found your England 15 to win the World Cup that you posted back in January 2020. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you remember doing that or if you remember who you put. It actually wasn't as out there as I thought. So you went... Ellis Genge, Luke Cowan-Dickey, Carl Sinclair, Mario Toje, Johnny Hill, Tom Curry, Sam Underhill, Alex Dombrand. And in the back line, you had Ben Spencer, Owen Farrell, Ollie Thorley, Manu Tuolangi, Henry Slade, Joe Thognessinger, Anthony Watson. Yeah. When when was when, when in 2020 was this? I think it was early. I think it was around January time. Yeah, so just after the 2019 World exactly. Cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. To be honest, I, I think the sort of retention rate there is not too bad. Well, you are more visionary in rugby than you are in your politics, mate. I'll give you that. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll turn that around, Mr. Crumble. <laughs> <laughs> Chewy's chat has far descended in the past five minutes, maybe even alarmingly so. So I'm going to call it here, guys. That was fun, though. I think we have something close to a 50. I'm not going to read it out yet again. And the Aussies haven't lost a wicket. God's sake. Scott Boland's still at the crease. Well... Enjoy the ashes and I'll see you guys next week.
Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.